Welcome to the Glass Lab podcast, where we talk all things product development. It's our goal every month to introduce you to the people, ideas, and development tools that are shaping the hardware products we all use every day. Hey, welcome back to the Glass Lab podcast. I'm your host, Drew, and today I have Mike Reynolds, the CEO at Innovate Map, and uh, my co-founder here, uh, Grant Chapman, CEO at Glassboard. So Mike, thanks for uh, coming on the podcast. Um, super eager to talk to you. Um, you know, obviously Grant and I, um, you know, in the conversations we've had with you personally have really always appreciated like your advice. And uh, again, really cool company and just excited to learn a little bit more about you and Innovate Map here on the podcast today. It's great. I really excited to be here and really excited for the conversation. So I'm grateful for the for the chance. Yeah, no, it's always fun to talk with someone that works like we do, not yeah. in what we do. You know, most of the people that come on here are either, you know, clients or, or co-suppliers, things like that. But you do the same structure of work that we do, but in a completely parallel industry, which is so much fun because there's like, there are parallels, but there are things that are just totally different, which is I, my I agree. favorite part to pull apart. Most, uh, m uh, both informative and amusing. Uh, yes. Given it's an analogous industry, but very similar yeah, no, solutions. 100%. No, that's the best. So yeah, so I think the, the first question I've got is, you know, what, what is your history before Innovate Map, and what kind of got you into doing what you do at Innovate Map? Or do you want to start with uh, what is Innovate Map, Drew? Yeah, I mean, we can start with the backstory. I mean, I think it's always interesting to yeah. see, like, uh, you know, I mean, obviously there's lots of people that work there, right? Uh, but I, I think it's also interesting to see, like, how the personal story kind of leads into, like, the business story. Because I feel like they're very rarely, yeah. like, completely decoupled, you know? like Oh, yeah. You not, know, not decoupled um, here. <laughs> I played with fire trucks my entire childhood, and now I'm, not, now I'm a police officer, you know? Well, <laughs> I, I, I can probably union both, so I, I, uh, people don't think we're a, a fire truck making company. <laughs> so uh, Innovate Map is a digital product agency. So we will basically, essentially, the strategy and design side of digital products. And we'll describe a digital product as you know, a uh, SaaS software for sure, mobile apps, uh, e-commerce, or uh, similar to e-commerce, very highly functional websites. So anything that's coded and in mm -hmm. the digital space, we're the strategy and design. Uh, we're not the coding. Yep. We typically will work with the company's uh, technology team of choice, but we're really everything from the ideation, the definition, the design. Uh, and I know you guys do that in the physical space, which is yeah. why I've enjoyed our conversation so much. But that's a little about what Innovate Map does. And we'll partner with tech founders or existing tech ideas to really help their product resonate better with a user or a buyer uh, nice. through strategy and design. So oh, that's yeah. awesome. I've always pitched when people ask me, what do you guys do? I'm like, they're industrial designers for digital stuff. And they're like, oh, that makes sense. Yeah, you guys, that's great. You, you yeah. do the human experience, the architecture. Yeah. How should you walk through that feature, whatever that you're building? And you say, this is how it should be done. This is why it should be done that way. This way it should look. And then someone else will go code the back end. Yeah. And I think that's like, that I was able to connect people in the, in the product space. Like, oh, now I know what they do. It's great. So you wanted to hear about my background, which I, so I've been in digital products for 25 years. Um, and I was, I started as a software consultant uh, that when I went to school in the late nineties, that was the hot job for, Many people, uh, tech, tech products were hot. And so someone that would learn it and then go implement it at a client was really my first role in my professional career for honestly a solid four years. I took a role for a startup software company uh, in 2000, marketing software company here in Indianapolis named Primo. I was their, one of their first consultants, uh, but I had never been exposed to um, the software side. I was always at a consulting company where I just got trained in the hottest thing that was selling, became <laughs> a instant expert, I guess, uh, and then helped clients with it. But uh, I got exposed to basically a software team, which had two prominent competencies that I had never heard of in school. I knew the engineering, so you do technology team, then you had the product team. 
And, uh, you know, in hindsight, I, that, that balance of having product people who are worried about, I always say, are we building the right thing? And then the technology team, are we building the thing right? Mm-hmm. And, and both I got exposed to being very essential to doing software correctly. Uh, when, as soon as I got exposed to that other department at the company, I was like, I want, that's my calling. I yeah. want to do that. I found myself very empathetic being a cons- uh, on, this, you know, boots on the ground yeah. consultant. I had opinion about how the software could work better. I empathized with the user. I had vision of maybe features that it could be. And I didn't really ever have a home for that. Yeah. And then when I saw that there was actually a role in professionals doing that in the software company, that's where I wanted to go. I love that thought process of should we and then how do we? Yeah. I like that that bifurcation a little bit, right? Because I also feel like is an engineer, like to my core, always get caught up in the how do we. Like, yeah. love the how do we. But I think it's very important to pay attention to the should we. Yeah. And, and, and you know, having been rooted in the software company, I have the utmost appreciation for engineering and technology. Like you cannot get it done without that. And I'll kind of unpack, you know, some thoughts I have around that because it, it led to the, the founding of Innovate Map. But uh, yeah, so I did that I, and I did that. Um, and uh, a primo to the credit to the founders, I was not a founder, um, uh, really successful software company. So they were pioneers in terms of creating marketing software for, back, you know, this is back in 2000. Marketers didn't think they need software. So mm-hmm. Like, hey, PR, events, this is art, there's no science to this. And then things like email marketing started coming and SEO and, and really CRM, CRM and the technology started to have a play. And um, what we found was marketers to sell to them, having it well-engineered was not enough because of the creative nature or where the, you know, this was not a, um, this was not a market where software was adopted. It is today, yeah. but this is back in 2000. So we had to focus on the product skills or we weren't winning the game. Mm-hmm. It was not enough to sell to a, a marketer mm-hmm. that it was well built. It had to be intuitive. It had to solve the problems they wanted to solve. And they, they were putting on us a really high value on the things that you would not look at the coders for, but the things that you would look at the product people right. for. The, the polish and the use case, right? Like, yeah. Is someone who's not a computer person, because in the 2000s, that was a word you could use, not a computer person. Today, everyone like in the working world uses them, but... My mom did sales in the late 90s, early 2000s, and like wasn't a computer person yet. Yeah. And everything was on the phone and paper and written down. And you had to make software that they could use. That was that transition from, I've never logged in mm-hmm. and been on the internet to, I'm comfortable entering stuff in here. It feels like pen and paper for me, or you know, at least like a file book that I know how to go look this up. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I would say for me, um, I mean, when I was a kid, I wanted to be a comic book artist. You know, I just assumed, I just never thought that there was a home for creativity and art in tech. Yeah. And then, so when this started brewing, I was kind of like, oh, yes, please. Most of my other product components uh, had originated from the engineering side and just had product chops. So anyway, I took the baton to really help focus on like the usability. Uh, and then and, and our journey uh, had hired a UX agency three times. Uh, disaster. Um, <laughs> I'll come back to that also. Uh, more on that a little bit later. But you know, and then eventually when UX is a competency and certainly product management as a competency really started becoming more commonplace, uh, we knew we needed to bring that in house. And uh, at that point, the head of the product kind of put me in charge of that. Um, when he left ways with Aprimo, I ended up leading product there. Um, so kind of fast forward, uh, Aprimo had an exit in 2011. And um, at that point we were a successful company, 350 people in size, not 20. Um, I had a product team of 30. Working alongside the CTO, we had a tech team of 70. You know, that software team was about 100. And I was thinking about my next chapter, very candidly. 
the big company thing wasn't my, I had done it before and uh, I was thinking my next chapter. Being the product guy, uh, a lot of people were expecting that I would start another software company. They're like, oh, Mike's the, he's the idea guy. He'll start a software company and then we'll just join him. And I, I probably disappointed a lot of people because I didn't <laughs> start a software company. Uh, but every time I would get a software idea, I, I knew all too well the founder stage because uh, I, I was part of a primo during that stage. It was a, it was a great stage. And um, you can't W2 every role and you can't have excellence across the board. It's just very challenging. So in the early stage, you have to lean on partners or unicorns or jacks of all trade. And um, I had gotten spoiled by having such a great product team, product strategy, product management, product research, UX, product marketing, all in house. And these individual roles that where someone was oh, an yeah. expert in their competency, they might not be useful anywhere else, but man, they were like the scalpel for whatever their role was. Yes. And that is so different than working with a team that is very broad, but not the scalpel, yes. right? So I, I was, I was kind of like, what stopped me from starting a software company is I'm like, I, I couldn't imagine getting this off the ground without access to this, and by name, the, these people. And so that kind of overwhelmed me. And that was the idea and origin, origin, origination between Innovate Map is I built the firm I wish was available to me if I was a startup founder, which was access to an A caliber product team. Yeah. See, you that's know? that's really cool because I think that is a, such a similar like feeling or narrative yep. that we had like like at Glassboard, right? Yep. Because um, you know, the original set of founders at Glassboard, I mean, we all worked together on um an e-bike product together mm -hmm. and we really enjoyed that. And we kind of just looked at like how we all interacted and operated and even like how we interacted with, you know, other folks um, that weren't like on the engineering team and, you know, kind of a similar deal. Like frequently we're looking for like other companies or consultants or partners to like fill in like gaps and stuff. But it's like everywhere we went just yep. seemed like we were going to deal with just like this kind of like black box of like, well, you send over the engineering specifications and we'll send back you know, uh, a, a black box that does all the things that meets the specifications. And so like, even in the name, when we we're you yep. know, strategizing like glass board, like that transparency piece is what kind of leapt out at us. And we're like, people should be able to do engineering. Like you have to have, you have to have an idea. You have to have specifications. You have to be aiming for a target, but it's so rare that you set out to design and build something. And it is exactly how you envisioned it would be at the, at the oh, beginning yeah. stages. Right. And yeah. so you really can't, and a lot of companies try to do this. You know, you can't treat it like a black box where, you know, you're like, well, this isn't the specification. Okay, we have to amend the specification. Then we have to bill you some more and then we have to right. go, go yeah. do the overhead. And so there's like all of this friction of, of trying to do that. Whereas like now I feel like, you know, we sit down with people and we're like, okay, we're going to build a great product. We really have maybe not, a we have some sense of what we want it to do, but we don't have a really clear sense, but like we're going to do this together with you and every step of the way, we're going to evaluate and decide on, you know, are we going to keep this feature? Are we going to get rid of this feature? We may start to develop yeah. a feature that yeah. was way harder to develop. And we'll come to you and say, are you still, you, you know, are you sure you still want this feature? It may add, you know, two months to the product yeah. release date if we add this and they may go, yeah, it's critical. We have to have it. And they'd make that decision. Or they may say, no, like we can, we can cut that. Or maybe we go in a different direction, but you've got to have that like real time feedback, I think to yeah. do, uh, a great product, especially in this market today, because I mean, most of the time when you set out to do something like the market will have shifted out of focus yeah. by time you get to, to release too. Right. Yeah. And it was crazy times. Cause you know, that, you know, I found in 2014, uh, at that point, uh, I would say in the digital space, 75% of products were SaaS, which meant probably 75% of operating organizations were agile. And so the ability, the responsibility to react and then the ability to do so was paramount.
Mm-hmm. You know, and all these founders, they, they, they have the idea, they know they need coders, but that black box needed not to be a black box to them. They needed it demystified. They had a hundred ideas. They had the budget to do 20. They needed to do those 20 well. And how do you pick which 20? Yeah. And how do you pick how well to do them? Yeah. So we, so I kind of saw that opportunity. So I would say inspired by the startup space, but like I'll just preview when we started the business, I knew the need was greatest with an early stage founder. Uh, they didn't always have money. <laughs> so, so now, so now this, now this new, this new role for me, like the business owner CEO came into play that we started getting early on. A lot of early clients were really, uh, uh, wanting, like I would call, uh, even though I might've thought we'd be great at innovation work, a lot of renovation work. And so today we do do both. And I just like to, I like to cover that. So we'll work with ideas that are from scratch or we'll work with one that exists in market and we'll fix it, you know, if, if something's off from a strategy and design side. Yeah, no, and yeah. I, I couldn't mirror that more. We we set out with Glassboard all wanting to do entrepreneurial things all the time. You know, yeah. the founder that doesn't have any engineers in his team and will be the whole theme for them. And and they're great, but very rarely they have enough funding consistently to develop a product all at once. We'll work with them, get their idea to a render stage. They'll go raise more money, and then five months later come back, I'm ready to go to a prototype, and this process yeah. repeats. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but you have to find those clients that are the small or medium businesses that are businesses. They exist, they have sales, yep. they're trying to, you know, V2 of something and those are much more consistent clients. And then you have the larger clients that need, you know, a refresh or an, a skunk works outside of their internal development. And that's where we can shine there. And they're all different kinds of clients that all have a place in what we both do. Right. Yeah. Perfectly said. And we're doing all of that same audiences, same phases, yeah. just in digital. Yeah. 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 So no, it's great. And I think one of the things that you set out to do and set up that you didn't want to have to start on if you did your own software product was how do I start with all the talent? And you can't yeah. afford that, right? When you yeah. start up, you can't afford a team of 15 or 20 day one. You have to get rolling and, and grow it. And I think that's what we both offer to the to our clients is we have a team of 15 that all have some skill that you might need a little bit of, but we sell it fractionally, yeah. right? You're not going to have to bite off the whole thing at once. You're, you're paying as you go to get the skills you need to bring your product to market, however your timeline looks. Good. Well, and I think there's the talent piece too, right? Because, okay, you know, like you said, you know, you know that you need this, like this product unicorn, right? Um, and they're always generally really happy on the front end. It's exciting. They're getting to do the the new design stuff. Yeah. You know, they're they're working on the branding and the colors and the app and all the you know all the digital assets that go along with that. And you know, as that product matures, um, you know, there's a lot less of cool, awesome, you know, oh, blue yeah. ocean type stuff to do. And it's like, how do you keep that person happy? Uh, you know, in in an organization or your company over the long run and, and keep them around long enough until it's time to do that again. Whereas again, an innovate map, like you can attract those people and basically tell them, hey, you're gonna get to do this kind of stuff over and over and over and over again in, you know, tons of different industries and in entirely yeah. different ways. Right. And I think that that sometimes um also makes it easier to get and collate that talent, right? Because they're going to get to do the stuff that they love to do the most all the time. Yeah, right? for, for us. And I don't know that I fully saw that when we started the company. I knew that like there was a problem market. I knew that myself and the team that I, the, the original team knew very well, we were going to be able to solve that. But one of the things that uh, was an ancillary benefit is those at bats truly have made our team the experts. Mm-hmm. So like if you're a designer and you work for one software in one industry at one company for two years, that's all you know. Uh, because we're multi-client, you know, someone that's been with us 18 months is probably at 25 at bats and now has seen patterns. Yeah. You know, oh, I've seen that before. Oh, you're this kind of, pro- oh, you're a B2C app. That's very yeah. different than what I did over here for highly analytical yeah. B2B software. And um, those at bats have really made their recommendations much more applicable and mm-hmm. um, impactful. 
to yeah. be very honest. Yeah. Well, and, yeah. And I think that that builds on a huge topic I, I love with what we do is the cross industry work that we all get to do. Like, oh, we see this trend in healthcare that is enabling these apps that you're designing for the nurses to use better. You know, yep. let's make up some f- feature. It needs to have this kind of a feature. And then someone comes to you com- from a completely another space, like let's say automotive engineering or something like yep. that, that wants an internal tool. Like, oh, we can put this button in this place because this they need these options. We saw this in healthcare and just cross sell that idea. And it really speeds up innovation because again, we're not reinventing the wheel for every client. You have your good ideas, you can reuse them, you know, not like yep. send it to their competitors, but just use these great functions that you're picking up, which we you use can, in engineering as well. You can cross seed the innovation mm-hmm. between industries, right? Because yeah. sometimes it takes a long time for like one industry to realize that like, there's a really good way to do this. It's just nobody in your industry is currently doing it. Like your peer models don't exist, right? They yeah. exist elsewhere. You just can't see them because they're just, they're not in your, you know, your narrow view of the market. Yeah, right? we get that all the time. So we, we might like have a medical software come to us and they're like, hey, this is a really hard problem because this software is for the nurses and they're not highly technical people and needs to be easy to use. That might be a hard problem in their eyes to solve. Right. But you know, like designing software intuitively for someone who, you know, is most familiar with consumer product patterns. <laughs> yeah. Every one of our industries. Right. Yeah, that's, not, that's not a new product to us. Yeah. yeah. Or a new idea to us. No, yeah. that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a tough bar to meet too, because I feel like today, I mean, people just expect, they've come to expect that when they pick up an app, it's going to be intuitive. Nobody is going to read your user guide. Like, and, and this, and this is for physical product too, yeah. right? Um, it's literally, I'm going to download your app on the app store and it should, I should be able to figure it out without, you know, somebody explaining it to me or watching a video or reading a how-to guide, right? And I do think that's a big difference, um, you know, just just past to, to present. Like, if it's not there and it's not innovative, people have a really short fuse of tolerance for something that's that doesn't work the way yeah. that they want it to. I would say, just to speak personally, that was, that's been a uh, wind in behind our sales over the last five years. So our company's in our ninth year. The first few years, we had maybe a hope or belief that would be the case or maybe vision it would be the case because we were experiencing that with marketing software. But our first years, we were really pushing our product on the market. I mean, people didn't know what UX was, they know what product mm-hmm. management was. Um, but the proliferation of consumer products has raised such a bar on how people expect it. No one, now people go to work and it's hit B2B software. They go to work and like, this software sucks. I'm not clicking on help. Yep. I'm not going to training. Why doesn't it work like the apps on my phone? Yep. And this has been good for us because it's kind of been like a wake up call, the value, the intuitive. So now we're, now we're getting, that, that's been a nice pull for us that I sure. don't have to convince everybody that that's real. Yeah. Like they get that their users want to enjoy and, and, and if, if they're a business owner, or if they're a CEO, that adopt, the adoption of the product is paramount. And you know, that's not something that the yeah. coders are typically going to be worried about. Yeah. Well, and that's yeah. what I was just about to follow is that their their internal team might be the technical side that is implementing the software, but those people don't often Venn diagram overlap with the UX, with Correct. the empathy, with the how would a regular person use this because they're all technical, they're all coders, they're yeah. all nerds. Yeah, the thing that sticks out in my mind, honestly, like it just pops in my head is just like banking apps. Like, oh yeah, <laughs> I mean, five years ago, banking apps were just dreadful, terrible. Yeah, and now like. Again, like like everybody, like whether it's Amex, Chase, even like your local bank I branch think. is probably partnered with some platform or somebody that's you know making it better, right? Like to me, that that one was just like jarring. It just seemed like overnight banking apps just went from like terrible to use to like wow, this is actually like yeah, I think it's actually I, pretty nice. I think I can make an assumption about your audience. I could probably go here, but the first incarnation of like UIs and user experiences 
you could tell they were done by the engineers because yep. they were literal reflections of the database tables. Yeah. Right? Yep, it was yep. like, here's a grid, here's a view page. Yeah, here's tabs, you can yeah, tab yeah, through it. Yeah, tabs, grids, yeah. and view pages. Or and even then, worse, an engineer sent down with an accountant to design the mobile app. Because which that's had, like, then everything had to be included. Yeah. There was no such thing as edge cases and <laughs> yeah, happy yeah. path and things like that. Right. But I would say, I mean, one that, one, a business software that really uh, pioneered into it's very good at this. I mean, QuickBooks and Turbo. When TurboTax, I mean, the early feedback on that was, you know, this is literally walking me through how I think mm -hmm. versus, okay, this was designed by an engineer. Now I need training to make sense of it. And I'm not saying Intuit was the pioneer. Obviously, Apple showcase for consumer products and things like that. But they really paved the way for an experience expectation um, that really helped really the, the UX competency. And then uh, if you're really deep in the bowels of it, the, the product management competency, because we, you know, for us, we only design that with which has been prioritized by a product manager and user studies to say that this is this, doing this feature will have ROI and doing this feature has value. And then we very much believe philosophically. And so, so does the, this is a macro trend of the industry, user centric design. So the product manager and the user feedback and workflow really dri drives what's designed and then design-driven development. So in the, in, the, in the digital space, nothing is coded that wasn't thought through by a product manager, designed by UX, and then engineering is just so excited to get that deliverable and make sure it's built well. Right, well, yeah. I think from an engineering perspective, there's like two parts of what we do in the technical like development space. And there's that one I'm gonna call like blue ocean discovery where we need a new way of doing something because the product team wants this thing doesn't exist. And that's where the creativity comes out in the blue ocean. But we can get burned out on that if we keep doing blue ocean work that the product team is like, ooh, you spent all this time and effort, but it's yeah. not exactly what we want. Yeah. So knowing and having that definition, like for us, from like an industrial designer or a user study of like, these are the features they really want. So we need to focus our energy and really polishing those helps us not burn out our creativity. Yeah. Yeah. And when you can see like a really well polished user experience as an engineer, like, it makes you want to then deliver on that, right? Yeah. So it's like, if, if it's already, you know, delightful to use, it can't be slow, right? Because, well, you've, it's like you've already raised the bar with like the UI UX. So certain things sort of like it's, you know, uh, it just, it elevates the bar for everybody, right? Yeah. If, if the app kind of looks not so great, then, you know, maybe you don't care if there's an extra quarter second of load time here or stuff's a little bit clunky here and there. Yeah. But like if the bar is already really high when it goes to engineering, they're going to want to, deliver on what they see in front of them, right? If it looks polished and it looks clean, it has an impact, I think, right? Yeah, and these are expensive. If you think of yourself through a startup founder that has limited funds, or even a scale-up that's trying to mm -hmm. succeed, these are really expensive lessons to learn in code with a real user. Yeah. You know, I mean, it, it, I, I try to explain, it's like, be like building a house and putting up frames and pouring concrete first and then saying, mm -hmm. we're going to fix things after you've lived in it mm -hmm. for a month. Okay, you, yeah. you, a good a good architecture interior designer could have anticipated those workflows yeah. and, and actually seeded the build with them. And right. We do a very similar thing there. We're like, once you don't want to learn these in code, um, you know, and so if you can get out in front of, you know, the, the core workflows, apply modern UX design yeah. practices that everybody gets, Everything shouldn't be a custom piece of art, just for the record. Right. You know, yeah. you want it here. But the modern, framework and the mocking yeah. and stuff has gotten so good, right? Yeah, We're like, awesome. I mean, I feel like you can very quickly, if, if you start to distill down like some of that usability and even like some of the like UI type stuff, it's like you could very quickly get to a point where maybe it's not completely, you know, connected to a live database or anything, but it, it looks and starts to feel as if it is a live app, right? Yeah, and we deal with that a lot of times. Like what is a custom workflow unique to this? idea or industry and what's a try and true workflow that really does not need reinvented so if you're doing right. e-commerce checkout and payment 
Yeah. You, you are doing the user a disservice if you're trying to reinvent that one. Right. Like well, they'll break the workflow. Yeah. You're they're gonna, like, here's shipping, here's billing, here's yeah, my credit card. Yeah, there's precedent of a workflow. Now, obviously, uh, custom applications or new ideas are going to create scenarios that deserve a custom design to it. Sure. Uh, and I would say for our world, it's, you know, 60, 40 on the custom. They're trying true designs. We're not trying to treat those like an art project and make a creative statement. Right. Mm. We're going to go with design. It's design, not art. Yeah. Like these are, we have to, you know, it has to be business minded and purposeful. Yeah. 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 Sometimes people go a little overboard and it's like, you know, you get to the shipping page and it's just like more ads or more. It's like, I, yeah, I've done, it. like I've done the shopping. I just want to focus on like putting in my billing information without being bombarded by like 50 other, you know, yeah. design, you know, whatever well, type it, stuff. It's right? one of those like sales taxes. Like, you know, how many clicks do you really want to put between the user when they put it in their cart and when they can, when it's committed and the money's charged, right? Do you really want to have them like have that much time to think of, no, I don't want these extras. No, I don't want to see that ad. Yeah. yeah between so that. we're, we're really big, uh, you know, and I, I mentioned me being a company guard. So like this definition is very important to our team because we do a lot of design. We'll do like, you know, brand design. Cause we also help the product on its go to market, not just the actual design of the app, but then how it's actually going to be designed to be sold. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, so we've got brand designers, we've got motion designers, we've got UX designers. And, but the key word there is designers. So these are, this is not art. And I, I, art is a free expression of creativity. Design is applying creativity to a business problem right. with business constraints. And so, um, you know, UX or software, this, these are not our projects, you know, and, and that, that, that's where a lot of our founders run risk is they find someone they know, a nephew, a cousin that's creative. Mm -hmm. And these are not art. These are, I mean, you, all of our UX designers have been hired with like a master's degree in human computer interaction design. Like this is a serious craft. Right. Right. And so um, very hard for these founders to W2 that or, you know, or even existing ones, W either early stage, it's very hard to W2 that for existing one, it's very hard to find talent that has had many at bats and experience. And so that's been really good for us. Yeah. And how do you maintain that talent? Again, as Drew and I saying, when you release a new version every four or three years, what does that person do in the interim? Yeah. Right. And that's, that's the thing that's helped our business model so much is that most product development, they, the products live in the market before the next one starts being developed. Yeah. And, and you don't want those engineers sitting on their laurels being bored looking for new opportunities in between the new development cycle. Yeah. I love that you bring that up because, and I don't mean to tie it right back to the, to the founder story, but when I was in industry, like when I worked for a premium and a software company, as a product manager, we probably do a release every six to nine months. And so that innovation ideation definition phase happened like two months out of the year. Right. Mm -hmm. The rest of the time you were in like enhancement, enrichment, uh, the cl clients buttoning up polished yeah. work. Yeah. And, yeah. and I will just be very candid. Uh, the early stage was my favorite. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's what I wish I did more. And it's also the hardest. Yeah. You know, I said, you know, I would say if you're a product manager, the zero, the first zero to 30% of an idea is the hardest. And then the 30 to hundred is also hard, but it's hard in a very different way. And uh, one of the things with Innovate Map, uh, it's, it's also in the name, you know, we want to stay, we want to stay in that hard part. Yeah. You know I mean? And so we, we will, we're very, um, you know, on that, the, the early definition, that's the fun part of yeah. doing product. At least it is for me. Yep. And uh, part of kind of wanted to do that all day long. Yeah. See, it's <laughs> funny. We, we yeah. actually at Glassboard refer to like that last 20 is actually the hardest part. Oh, and I don't think it's the actually, hardest part. No, I don't think it get, it, it's the hardest part, I think, for our people. Yes. Because we all love the 80, like the first 80% oh, so much. It's the hardest part for oh, yeah. yeah. The, the oh, last yeah. 20%. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, no, because no. like, again, the first, generally, the, you're, you're right. From difficulty perspective, yes, the first 80% a lot of times is like way more difficult. But, you know, in terms of, of 
you know, like physically like the mental load concept yeah. of, of that last 20%, all of that polish and that fine detail and ironing out, you know, the last bit of it and getting it to manufacturing and all that, like it's all very necessary. It's just, if it is my personal, but it's just far less fun than yeah. the first 80% for, for our service that that is often the kind of product work that the client is actually well suited to take in house yes. because, yep. you know, that's responding to client, uh, customer support tickets daily. It's, it's, it's honestly, it's not the heavy lifting it's, you know, it, and, and so a lot of times, and that's honestly in product management, that's where more junior product manager starts yep. is in like, Hey, I'm going to own an already existing feature, how it's enhanced and how it's enriched and how it's working for a client mm -hmm. is very different skill set than I've got an idea in somebody's head that I got to bake the first zero to 30%. Yeah. So we've, we've kind of chose for our firm to focus. We, we do the whole life cycle. I will say that right. if anybody's trying to figure out what we do. <laughs> uh, but I would say our sweet spot is in that yeah. early stage where you, you really can't W2 enough, uh, enough of the different skills. And I think yeah. that's the hard bit. It's not the, not the no, like, it's research it's not strategy. Talent, it's, it's the variation of skills design. You need. Yeah. Prototyping. It's mm -hmm. everything. Yeah. Yeah. No. And it's, it's, that's the thing is like, you know, that last 20% is the least serotonin per effort. Yeah. <laughs> it's not that much effort, but it's not that much serotonin per effort. And that's the problem that you, you, you end up with the creative guys that don't like that. Um, and you got to make sure you feed them that new creative work often enough intermixed with the last 20% to make sure they're happy. Yep. Cause no, I think the, the, cool. the people is what makes both of our businesses. Yes. Right. Like for sure. The tools are great. The tools that we both have access to, to do what we do is never been better. Yeah. Right. The, one person can do way more than they can today than they did 10 or 15 years ago because the tools are better. Yes. But you still need the people to make what we do. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I remember your, um, your wife's grandfather came through our offices yeah. and just like, He's an old school engineer, yeah. um, you know, from Switzerland and, and brilliant guy. I mean, he's done some amazing yeah. stuff, but I think just his mind was just, I think, blown at like, you know, the, for the relative size, the access to the tools and like what it, it was that we were doing, just like unfathomable from like his perspective. Oh, right? yeah. Because I mean, you know, you, you get the videos of like thousands of engineers and like, you know, white button downs all like, you know, behind drafting boards to just do, you know. A, thing. A, a component of an aircraft or something, right? Yeah. Uh, for the military or something, right? And now, like, that's just one or two or three people, right? In like a small little like you know desk now, yeah. maybe you know could replace an entire floor of engineers, right? right? And, and there's like a CNC machine in the background that you no longer have to be a machinist to know how to run. You just watch like two YouTube videos, and the software does the rest for you, and like you're making metal parts, and you're an engineer, not a technician. And it's that crossover has just been amazing for us. And I'm sure it has for you guys too. Oh yeah. You know, you can take your designer as an artist to do the visual work, but put it in a structured software so that you can share it and get experience from it and manipulate it, not on a one-off piece of paper version. Oh yeah, the tools are unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I could go on for yeah. hours yeah. about the, the, how the, the, it was 10 years ago the versus codeless, today. The codeless mocking stuff is, is actually amazing. Oh, yeah, like, that's like, the again, stuff. That, like, uh, even we've played with, you know, some of the stuff, Figma, Adobe XD Figma? and some yeah, stuff. I like, would say, for, so it, you know, and, and just, Half of our business is helping the product resonate with its user. And that we've spent a lot of time talking about this, the product managers and UX designers. But the other half is once it's been built, how do I have equipped sales and marketing and how do I make sure it resonates with the buyer? And so okay. that for us, that's our product brand and product marketing team. And I share that to give context to you, like Figma has been incredible because we are rapidly designing screens and workflow, but then able to put it together and equip sales and marketing to actually demo it or value it or, you know, or, almost like a movie trailer, like, hey, this is coming, which has value in the digital space. Oh, yeah. sure. There's no unveilings, people hate that. Yep. And so, you know, to the tools have allowed us to not only, you know, help create vision of future direction with the software, but to convey its value and start selling it immediately right. without it being coded. 
right. you know, and that's, you know, for some of these companies, especially in the digital space, the, the, the market dynamics are moving so fast that any advantage, like, you know, first to get word out or first to, you know, convey confidence that this is coming and it's going to solve my problem is incredible. What helps you gauge market fit too, right? Because yeah. it, it oh, cuts yeah. both ways. I mean, it can either be very validating or it can be like, we should not code this. Yeah, like no, there right. is no traction here whatsoever. And you wouldn't know that if you didn't actually put it in front yeah, of people very and, and, make it, and make it and make it look real, right? Because yeah. that's the other thing too, is that some, you know, some people, if, if they feel like they're interacting with, you know, something that's like half-baked or, or not really, you know, all there yet, like they may not interact with it like um, the way that they would if, if it was real. So it's like crossing that threshold of reality where you can start to gauge like just, just feedback and sentiment like from the, like the consumer, right? If it's too vague, they have no idea and like, what they, you don't even know whether they will or won't engage, yeah, right? I, I so would say ten, once you get like a little bit further down that and, and, and you can start to gauge that, I think it's, it's super powerful. Yeah, like I would say 10 years ago, you were doing that with wireframes. Probably five years ago, we were doing those with, you know, highly designed screenshots. You, mm -hmm, you, you mm -hmm. maybe show three to five hero screenshots to convey, now we can do a full-fledged prototype demo. Yeah, and then right. you click yeah, through I mean, eight screens and through. see the menu flow and, and be like- But that allows you to validate really deep things like workflow mm -hmm. and, and versus like, it, 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 with a wireframe, very tough to validate much of anything, you know, just because people need to kind of see with a little more reality. The, con the hero screens, I like to call them, people could validate, yeah, you're heading in the right direction. I feel like you've got the right concept. Yeah. But with the other stuff, you can validate like, workflow right and like, like the actual user experience problems. yeah and yeah. incredible no and, and yeah. it's one of those things that you can now get buy-in from the non-technical people who are making decisions at your medium and large yeah. companies right your ceos your directors that aren't engineers that yep. aren't the technical people on the ground and also aren't working with the end clients every day you need to wow them with this new feature so they say yes yeah, yeah. you got to stage the house like <laughs> yeah, yeah. some people just can't vision it right no, i mean totally. you walk in and, and the walls are bare and they're not the right colors uh it's just like yeah, I, I, I can maybe see like i like the you know i like the layout of this house maybe but like I, I don't think i can see myself living here but you know you put a little color on the walls and you stage that and they're like oh wow this is this yeah is i remember that I, I people would ask for wireframe this is 10 years ago and it I found they would stick with 20% of people. No one, no one could envision. It'd be like me showing you blueprints and saying, aren't you gonna love living here? Right. Yeah, I mean, it just, you do need well, to yeah. take it, it one step further for the non It's And it's also this uncanny valley, right? So you, you don't want to get it halfway there where it looks messy and they think it's going to stay that messy through development. You have to get it over that uncanny valley so it really looks like yeah. the real thing, even if all the features aren't there because it's not coded. It's just this screen goes to here, goes to here. And there's so many analogies to that in the product space, right? I mean, yeah. 3D printing for us is exactly that. Oh, like yeah. I can literally take a concept or an idea and 12 hours later, physically hand it to you and be like, Incredible. do you, do you, do you like how this looks or how this feels or whatever, right? And it's just, we can do all the renders in the world and, yep. and you know, in wow. CAD and all that kind of stuff, but it right? Doesn't and, do and, it. and there's a lot of people, I mean, we, we struggle with this even today that, they absolutely love how a design looks on a PowerPoint presentation or rendered or whatever. And you 3D print the thing and you put it in your hand and they're like, hate it. Yeah. Do not like this. That's incredible. I love hearing that. Cause like I said, we're similar in your physical space, yep. I'm digital space, but a 3D printing, you know, it hasn't, it doesn't have a, it's not in digital, but I totally enjoy hearing how that would work. Well, I yeah. totally get it. And I could even see it potentially. And I do you guys run into this where like, if you, if you have like, if you have something that's mocked up in like a web browser, or like on like a yeah. PC, do you ever have people like go through and they, they either like, like a workflow, but then if you actually deploy it on mobile, they like, they change your opinion drastically. Oh, without just question. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, but I would say the tools allow us, we used to have those for us, that used to be separate design efforts, right? Mm -hmm. You know, and now the tools very quickly can, yeah. 
iPad mobile, right? Desktop, yeah. Renderings, yeah. The, the, the frameworks are unbelievable now. Where a lot of that, it's not nuanced anymore. A lot of that is baked in. The nuanced of yeah. So you can have the same backend, and then you put different, you know, aspect ratios for the artwork on those pages, but you don't have to build the whole structure again, kind Correct. of thing. No, and that's that's the amazing part. And for us, like that three D printing again. This is like five or six years ago. You could three D print something cheap enough for a small business. But it was that uncanny valley. It had the layer line to the sheet and all the clients like, oh, like I don't love this. Is it gonna have these lines? It, yeah, no, yeah, and, yeah, and yeah, nowadays yeah. with the new like foreign labs SLA stuff, you can print that in their gray resin, which is super neutral. So the customer can or can make a custom color and mix a leader for them, whatever color they want. Wow. And you can print it in their brand color with a super smooth surface finish. And they're like, Oh yeah, this is what I want. Wow. And you yeah. can even like if you don't know, if you know how much the thing's gonna supposed to weigh, you can print the model so much of it solid so it just feels the right weight too. And this is just oh, prints overnight. And it's like, it really crossed yeah. that uncanny value. Love hearing like, this. I hate this prototype because it feels cheap or fast or clunky versus, oh, if this is what it looks like in the real world, I'd be thrilled. And you can actually give them that experience now, which didn't exist. Yeah. It, it, it did. It was just way too expensive. And now it isn't. Yeah. Yeah. A $100,000 machine is now three grand. Yeah. <laughs> and and the, the resin is no longer like, you know. $800 a liter, it's 150 bucks a liter yeah. and I can't buy it's it. It's still going to bankrupt us for sure. <laughs> yeah. Like that'll be, if, if you read in the news, like glass board, like files for bankruptcy, 80% chance that it's just, it's just resin put us under. Yeah. I just, <laughs> I spent too much on, on parts for the 3D printers. <laughs> I think for us, for, I'm trying to think my industry, if there's equipment, it would have to be the cloud. I mean, like I remember like when we started a Primo, oh, the cost to just get servers and infrastructure oh, and storage, and, storage <laughs> and, you know, everything being cloud-based to spin up a startup software company is you know, it's, it's three to five people and a bunch of subscriptions to software yeah, you know, versus yeah. like any capital expense. And that, that really changed the game. And for us introduced a lot more, um, reduced the barrier of entry for some with an, a digital idea, you know. Now, is that cutting you two ways because their expectation of their expenses is lower than it ever been? Um, I would say it is for the, um, no, I think that that has helped us more and hurt us. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I would say I would say that like you know it just means they're spending more money on like product design and marketing. So they you know, have they, the dollars to it, spend. It's other It's very places. hard to automate uh, strategy, creative, and design. Right. And so that hasn't. They'll still at least we've seen they'll still partner for a premium there or really um, want excellence there to really differentiate their product. I, I don't think I don't think that is a. Maybe the back end has commoditized a little bit and it's had to come as you scale. The design side is not yet. Yeah. Actually, the, the economy of scales are really more on our business end, you know, because right. we're the ones producing. We're able to produce things quicker and get to outcomes right. faster. But see, I think this I think this also speaks to the difference between art and design, yeah. right? Because I think today the bar has probably never been lower to go get uh, a pre-baked framework or a set of templates or yes. something that can look nice that look I feel like nice anybody is, today yeah. for ten dollars on theme forest can get a hero shot of yeah. an app but to make it actually you know be well designed and and you know good to interact with and that workflow piece and doing how to architect that that for sure i think is as difficult as it's ever been no to, i'd to agree do correctly I'd agree right that. so i mean it, can, it gives that false sense of like Again, the founder may look at the app and go, oh my gosh, this looks fantastic, but functionally it may not work well. Yeah, I would say like 10 years ago, a requirement was I need it to look good. No, we haven't heard that in three to five years. Yeah. They expect that it is. Yes. In fact, a lot of, a lot of founders are, well, a lot of existing products thought they made it look good, now it's not working. Yeah. It's an adoption challenge. It's not a look and feel challenge. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I, I would say that where you're going with that is I, we have felt that. Mm -hmm. You know, look and feel is expected it's gonna look good. 
Now they yeah. want to make sure it works yeah. as we intended it to. And that's Super helping cool. you guys stand out because I haven't met too many people that pitch themselves in the space the way you do, right? We get yeah. a lot of web dev shops that are everywhere, right? That half of them are really good at art and just trying to make something pretty. And half of them are the coders in the back end that are just help you spool up your site. Yeah, I would, And you guys are right in the middle of like, this is how someone's supposed to use the site. And that's so different than what most people are out there in your space, I think. Yeah, I would say we get, you know, some, uh, thank you for that. Yeah, I w- I, probably because we originated there. I'm sure they'll all catch up. I mean, I mean, if you were a coding first shop, mm-hmm. you probably were like, hey, this needs to look better. And I'm sure that every development shop is probably investing in better designers, but m- maybe they're coming at it after the fact. Like right. we've coded this, now we gotta make it look good or work good. Where <laughs> uh, we started there, um, yeah, that, that 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 happens. I know. I know. Sometimes because we're design minded, uh, you know, people think of like marketing agencies is very different. By the way, that's very different. You know, um, you know, we're, we're sprinting alongside software engineering teams. We're speaking agile. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't typically compete with them, but you know, in early and pre engagement processes, we might just because our we both have design, we might have to put ourselves in the correct frame of mind why we're we don't do it honestly most of our clients our most successful clients we're partnering with their marketing agency as they're kind of like drawing eyeballs on our work and doing so well yeah 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 we we we're trying to figure that out a little bit too you know with that whole um you know id side of things right uh you know do you do you work with you know does the client have an outside id firm that's already kind of you know Mm -hmm. done some of that look and feel of the product and how does that made up with engineering and Again, there, sometimes it works great. Like it, it really can be really nice to come in and be like, hey, there's already kind of a design playbook to to go after the, the actual product development engineering and features to go with. And then other times it's like, can be a bit of a tug of war where it's like, hey, I, I know that you guys are married to this ID design, but like, you know, you want this thing to have a battery life of four hours and there's absolutely no way it's going to be that small in uh, that shape or size or whatever, but, but meet these other requirements, right? So it, it can vary, I think. Um, and we've tried to invest more in our resources. I think we've come yep. more from the engineering, like technical yep. direction, more towards that design, you know, uh, front end, you know, artistic type of direction, right? Adding more of those people to try to, you know, holistically do do more and, and under one roof. Again, just so that you can kind of holistically set those expectations up, especially yeah. on the front end, better, right? Yeah, what's worked for us, and we obviously learned this the hard way, we're not like like any business, um, what's worked for us is to just be very focused on what we do well and what we don't do well. And instead of like saying, and you know, I'll just use a marketing agency. It, it, it serves us well to say, we're going to do these five things. We don't mm-hmm. do these 10 things. Right. You still need them. Don't put us in a box with them. Yep. You know, like, and that, it, that's helped. And, and that's, that's us yeah. in like the higher level software. Oh, like yeah. we really are, we've maintained kind of that firewall for a yeah. long time. Like we will do a lot of the, you know, the software that lives on the device or even, you know, working with kind of getting that data into like a backend system or something. But like, once you get much beyond there, I mean, you need specialists, right? Like if it's, if it's AWS, like it's, you know, Trek 10 or, or other folks like yeah. that, like yeah. you, you need them to do that portion. Cause it's just, it's so complex. You yeah. can't possibly expect us to be good at it. Right. No, so, no. And, and, and other things too, like digital, I mean, with, Anytime people are talking iOS or Android app or, or yeah. the design implementation on any of that stuff, again, we're happy to share maybe some of the, you know, some of the brand language and identity stuff if we baked it into the product with that team. But it's like you guys are, are on your own yeah. uh, 
on from that from that aspect. So yeah, no, and, and like regulatory is another one as well for like medical devices, right? Like the one yeah. that we don't want to get into because it's so expensive to upkeep that knowledge base. We don't need it all the time. Is that regulatory effort for FDA compliance and things like oh, that yeah. for our medical devices? We're great engineers and we're more than happy to write down what we're doing and fill in the right paperwork. But someone please help us with that structure. Um, and the consultants in that field are great. Yes, they're talented. They're focused, and it really makes for an awesome partnership. But. No, overall, Mike, I mean, I really appreciate you coming on and just talking today. Um, I think you touched on like a lot of really neat facets from personal life to innovate map to just kind of the the tools and tips of the trade. So that's this really like the concept on on the Glass Ops podcast here is just kind of just looking at, you know, how people in both physical product, digital product, mm -hmm. uh, anything in the product development space, like kind of like what it's like to, you know, to look under the hood. So appreciate you coming on the podcast today and, uh, you know, chatting with us. Uh, this has been great. And, and as advertised, just a wonderful conversation. Great. You know, so just really appreciate the conversation today. It's been an honor. Awesome. Okay. Well, thanks so much. Yep. Thanks, everybody. We'll catch you in the next one. See you.